strength is, you know, relying on your fellow man. Like, I, I, I assume, with li limited knowledge, in the military you have to absolutely have faith in your team. Well, as you know, I like to talk about sort of meaningful. I like to ask meaningful questions. I'm going to say a quote that you said. I've paid a lot of therapists a lot of money to find out why I'm lonely. What's that lonely place for you? Um, lonely place for me is um, not feeling useful and um, not, I guess, not being noticed in a way. So it's a bit weird because obviously everyone judges everyone and it's sort of always perceived to be really bad that you would do things to get noticed. Um, but I only ever wanted to be noticed because I wasn't noticed when I was a child by my parents or by my friends. I was the fattest kid in school. My parents were always so busy. They just never saw me. Mm. It wasn't their fault. They, were, you know, but they had pubs and they were just, oh, you know, they literally had to, six in the morning till two in the morning, they're working split shifts and I'm upstairs in the cot or I'm upstairs in the flat on my own the whole time. Lonely as fuck. Um, and then, you know, I go to school and I get fat because I'm living in a pub and it's free coke um, and free food. Because, yeah, mum, and, mum didn't used to cook and we didn't used to sit down for meals. It was just like, just eat what you want from the pub. Um, and so I got really fat. And so then at school, people didn't want to notice me or didn't want to pick me for sport. I was always picked last for sport, unless it was rugby. And give the ball to Rob. He was a prop. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So there's no place in the world that's lonely. I mean, just isolated in the middle of the desert might be, but you know, I could, I could be lonely anywhere. I could also feel very connected anywhere. So the lonely place for me is that emotional place whereby no one wants to know and everyone's ignoring you and they think you're fucking useless. And maybe that's why I do all of this stuff that I do and create all this content and make all this noise and buy all these cars and write all these books and buy all these watches and do all these TikToks. Because it's not lonely there. Has anyone ever called you useless before? Um, yeah, They've, yeah, and add a few Fs and Cs on the end of that. Because <laughs> kids can be cruel. Um, not my parents. My parents were not those kind of parents. Mm. Um, but yeah, people at, people at school. And, and you know, when you're 12, 13, 14, 15, and you know, you're getting into girls and your personality's really forming and you're going through changes and puberty, you know, life's very confusing at that time. Yeah. And all through that time, I felt like, by the way, it probably happened way more in my head than it did in reality. Um, but yeah, so, yeah, not my parents, but definitely the fuckers at school. Where are you now, motherfuckers? <laughs> <laughs> so I believe therapy is good for everyone. 
and everyone should at least try it, but in order to fix a problem, you've got to diagnose it. How did you know it was there? Um, well, look, life happens. Shit happens every day. Um, you're trying to run a company and you know, people are calling off sick with mental health and you're trying to recruit and the government are shutting the, the country down and you're trying to get ahead and they're taking all the tax off you and there's wars. You know, there's always conflict going on in the world. A micro level, macro, even the bees and the hornets are fucking fighting. There's just conflict everywhere. Um, and that's clearly a part of nature, otherwise it wouldn't exist. So, um, for me, the way to overcome conflict is to grow, adapt, evolve, strengthen, you know, to react to all of this. But you can't do it on your own. Mm. And, and we, we almost think we can because we're naive or arrogant. Um, but, you know, I... In a, my dad was raised to never show any emotion. And you never questioned anything. And if you did, you got the fucking belt. And so I wouldn't say my dad raised me like that. He raised me the opposite. He gave me freedom. You know, he, he, we all show love in different ways. Um, so he raised me. in a loving but in a very repressed way, never showed any emotion. And it, it, it seems to be either generational or certainly male to show strength and so solidarity and to not show weakness. And that's fine if you're on the battlefield or you're fighting, but navigating the complexities of life and our mental health and everything else is it's actually weak, not strong. So I think it's very strong to admit you need help and very strong to be self-aware about areas. You know, no, one, no one's like, oh, you're so weak because you've got a personal trainer and you've got a nutritionist. But you know that you need help with your training and you know you need help with your diet. But if you need help with your emotions, you're fucking weak and pathetic. Just don't see it like that. Just see it like, like I want a personal trainer or, you know, an editor. I need a therapist to navigate the complexities of life and get people to help. So I think it'd be a good exercise for everyone to do, and including yourself. Can you go back to the most Challenge. I'm going to touch on some of the points you've made. Can you go back to the most challenging or emotionally challenging time when you was a boy? What would you say to that boy now oh, to navigate man. your way through? Yeah, so my therapist used to fucking do this to me all the time and I hated it. Sorry. Um, no, don't be sorry. Um, the, 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 most, the most pain and the worst place in my life was in the showers after rugby because back then you know you play rugby in the freezing cold and you're given the kit and when you're the fat fucker it's always too fucking small mm -hmm. and the shirts are there and they you know because mm -hmm. life was different then mm -hmm. um and afterwards you all went in the showers mm -hmm. and it was cold 
and clinical. And all the fucking kids, I felt, you know, they're like waiting for me to get in the shower. And some of them were and some of them weren't. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. A lot of it was in my head. But, yeah, that, 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 from, that I used to do everything I could. Pull sickies. Get changed really slow. Go and wash my knees in the sink. You know, and anything I could to, um, to not be there. Um, and my therapist said to me, you know, what would you say to him, that vulnerable boy? And I said, I'd just be so ashamed. And that's how I felt. So I guess I didn't really have much compassion for myself. But of course, if that was any other, if that was my son, mm. I'd show him endless love. I'd probably want to knock out some of his friends as well. But so, yeah, I, I guess sometimes us men, high achievers, entrepreneurs, you know, whatever you want to call it, we're not very compassionate towards ourselves. We're brutal to ourselves. And I get that we want to be successful and you have to be strong and you have to be a role model and life is hard and all that. I get all that. I was, yeah, not very good at that. And I think that a lot of, a lot of men are struggling with that. There's a lot of lost men who are like really hard on themselves. So what would you say to anyone that's navigating their way through that now? Well, the first thing I would say is you've got to evaluate where you are. Because if you've been raised with love and support, you know, and, um, you're feeling like the world owes you a living, you need to wake the fuck up. You probably don't need to have a few of those showers. Mm. But, you know, if you're trying your best and you're doing what you can and you're not a victim, but shit's happened and you're suffering and you're beating yourself up, I would just say, work on your self-awareness. So, I don't know what success is, but if we want to navigate this journey with maximum speed and minimum friction and maximum opportunity, I think we've got to be really self-aware, which is, I know I'm a bag of emotions and I know there's so much going on in the world, but let's lay out what I am. On the one hand, I'm cruel, I'm lazy, I'm not very good at this, I'm fat and whatever. And on the other hand, I'm pretty smart, I've hustled, I've solved these problems and challenges, I'm educated. And become really self-aware. Because when you're self-aware, you realise that actually there's so much more about you than you think there is. And you know, I was kind, I was good at getting on with people, I was a conflict avoider so I could entertain any situation, I was funny. I had all these traits as a young fat boy, but I couldn't see any of them. Because all I was focusing on was, you know, what was beating myself up, what was all shit about me. So that's what I would do. I would be very matter-of-factly self-aware and start giving yourself some fucking credit for the shit you've achieved in your life um, and double down on that. Just on that point, do you think that people tend to struggle... Um, or what people tend to struggle with is thinking deeply because there can be an unkind association with that, with those thoughts. 
becoming self-aware. Yeah, so no, I've never really thought of life like that. That, um, to me, thinking deeply is, um, I, I perceive that to be a really productive, useful, credible, commendable thing. Um, it's what makes great podcasts, it's what creates great art. So no, I don't have any shame or, 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 or any issues around that. I think where there might be this wrestling, because I ask a lot of very successful people on my podcast, especially the creative types, you know, does, do you need pain to make great art? And we, go, we all go round the houses and in the end everyone says yes. Or, or you, you look at the great artists in anything, yeah. there's a load of pain in there. And I'm not just talking about painting, I mean, I'm talking about the sacrifices that people make in sport and the, the cost, you know, the family cost, the security cost. So, um, no, I think deep thought, I think is a, a really good, healthy, necessary thing. And you're the, and you're the masterpiece. Is that a um, generic or specific statement? Are you calling me a masterpiece or are you saying we the people are a masterpiece? The people, but would you say you're the masterpiece of your family? Um, I, th I think I'm self-aware-ish, as much as you know, we're all struggling, in that I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm not. And I think I'm using my energy pretty productively to focus on what I'm good at. You know, my sister, for example, she's not an entrepreneur. Mm. She's got two great kids, a great husband, and she was, she was always brilliant when we were younger. We'd go to caravan parks and go on holidays and I wouldn't want to talk to anyone, even though I wanted to talk to people, and she'd just be there talking to everyone and opening up all these networks and groups, and she's fucking brilliant at that. And because she struggles like we all do, and you know, she has some health issues and shit like that. So. You know, we're all a masterpiece in some, no, we're all a potential masterpiece. You know, we are a potential cathedral of um, amazing art, or we're all a 10,000 piece jigsaw puzzle to be built. Yeah. But it's just a question of what we do. You know, do we throw all the pieces out like a fucking child? Do we dedicate our lives to painting the cathedrals and building the you know, the jigsaws, I think that really, that's what, we're all infinite masterpieces in our own right, in our own way. But are we building the jigsaws and painting the, the ceilings? Or are we acting like children and throwing our toys out of the pram? So what makes you different? Why are you different? Me? Personally. I'm different because I am a human and all humans are different. I find it really fascinating that in some ways we're all exactly the same. Like, think about it. You know, you look at bees. They all look exactly the same. Mm. I bet within the bee world, they've all got different faces and personalities and everything else. And so, you know, we've all got the same genetics, like literally exactly the same genetics except for one chromosome difference, mm. the X and the Y. So we're all the same, but we're all 
totally different. And that's a bit of a paradox. It's kind of hard to get your, your head around yeah. that we're all the same, but we're all so wildly different. So, yeah, I am different in the sense that so are you, and so's Harry, and so's everyone. But I'm also the same in that we, we share exactly the same universe, moment in space and time, DNA. See, this is, in some ways, I think we need a bit of a, an awakening as a species. Because, like, I imagine people, mostly, would want to love their children and support and do the very best for them. We are all related in that, I don't know how long humanity has been going on, hundreds of thousands of years. What are the odds of the atoms and the energy and the planets and the universe and the speed of space and time and everything coinciding that we all exist together in these 90 years that we've got or 80 years that we've got? So surely we should love everyone like our children because we are the same. But we're not, we're completely fucking different as well. So it's, you know, I, I like to think I'm, I'm expressing myself in an individual way and I'm becoming comfortable with expressing, expressing my uniqueness but at the same time, I'm no better than you. I'm no fucking hero. Arnie's, oh, Arnie's up there and, you know, the janitor's down there. No, no, no. We're all the fucking same. You know, my dad used to say, the Queen needs a shit just like everybody else. You know, that's what he just, he used to say. The, the Queen is the Queen. So, so yeah, I, I find that an, an interesting thing to, to explore. Um, yeah, we're all different and we're all the same. Would you say you have to, I agree, by the way, would you say you have to work harder on being happy or unhappy? Um, yeah. I, I think that the amazing thing about the universe, the world, is that there are no bounds and no limits. And this is something we don't understand about life. We've become very limited and myopic. But I can take a knife and slash your fucking arm and in two weeks your body has repaired itself. Mm -hmm. You can think something right now and it manifests in a material form in weeks or, or months. That's fucking amazing. Like That gives me goosebumps to think of the, the infinite potential that we have in the world. Um, so I think if we really understand the universe and how it works, we get out of our own way. And so this paradox of happiness and unhappiness and struggle subsides and is transcended. Because I don't really think happiness or unhappiness actually really matters. You know, we make it really important. It's really important to be happy. It's really important not to be unhappy. I, I, I think that the universe is a, a mirror in that it, 
it reflects back and gives us what we are. So all of that being said, there's much less friction in being happy than there is being unhappy because the universe is a mirror and reflects back what you are. So if you go with the flow of the universe, it will give you more of this abundance. Mm -hmm. If you resist and fight the universe, it will give you all this friction because it's trying to teach you. So there's way less friction in being happy than there is unhappy. But the greater question is, why is happiness even important? Progression is more important, and I believe in happiness, and unhappiness is just emotion. Yeah, my belief, being a humble little lemming in the world of Sim City, is that the purpose of life is to find the meaning of life and adapt to an ever-changing environment which requires growth, which requires struggle. And the emotions are the reaction to the environment. So happiness which, by the way, probably has about 65 different emotions within happiness, anywhere from contentment to arousal and all of the emotions. So it's Mm -hmm. quite a nuanced discussion. But happiness is a reaction to succeeding and growing within the environment. Unhappiness is a reaction to failing and being challenged in the environment. So the emotions are simply reactions to the environment. So the goal is to navigate the environment, you know, in terms of a species and and, and us surviving and evolving. So yeah, this is why all this fucking woke shit about the purpose of life is happiness is delusional. The problem, like, here's the, whatever the laws of nature are, or write them down or whatever, but, you know, There's cold reality over here. There's deluded fantasy over here. And to think that we can have all the good and none of the bad, i.e. all the heaven and none of the hell, is a deluded fantasy. And the irony of seeking the deluded fantasy of happiness is that you will always get the opposite in reaction. You will always get the pain. So you've answered my next question. You believe there will be conflict then? Well, the conflict is the oscillation between support and challenge. Mm. So, again, laws of nature. If you got big biceps, right? And you didn't, you weren't born with big biceps. You might have had good genetics, but you know, let's just be honest, you got some good biceps there. And you probably know that if you create conflict situations within your muscles, i.e. you fatigue them, and you put them through stress, intelligent stress, um, you know there's going to be some progress. But you know that this pain attached to the progress. You've got to go in the gym. You've got to have discipline. You've got to eat well. You've got to actually feel pain within the muscle. But then you know that you've also got to rest well and, and eat well, etc. But ultimately, you get the reward. But you don't get the reward by sitting there and being... You don't get big biceps being happy. 
You don't get big biceps without the stress and the conflict and the resistance in the muscle fibre. And I think that's how life is. Because if you think about happiness, it's a complete paradox. Because actually, how do you, how do you create the greatest sense of happiness? Overcoming the greatest challenge. Are you going to be happy sitting on your ass all day? You know, those muscles rotting away because you just want to be happy. Or are you going to go to war and make shit happen and overcome real challenges? And what's the reward of that? Because for me, winning a fight or building a business or, you know, committing parts of your life to, to go into the gym, the feelings you get consistently way outweigh this lazy, entitled happiness that much of society seems to be think is the purpose of life. I mean, we will come on to that. But there's a lot of people, um, for which I don't understand, have a lack of motivation or they lose motivation. But what are your thoughts on that when they lose the motivation, whenever it be in a business or life, for example? Okay. I'll give my point on it in a minute, but I'll let you go. Yeah. Um, motivation, I believe, is short-term, short bursts of enthusiasm. It's not deep and meaningful work. It's not discipline and focus. So there's motivation and then there's inspiration. So inspiration is having an inspired mission, knowing your purpose on this planet, having a very clear vision, and having vitality and energy and longevity in the pursuit of this meaningful mission. And that trumps and supersedes motivation every day of the week. Mm -hmm. Motivation isn't useless, because, you know, Oh, can't be asked to go down the gym. Put some fucking heavy metal on then. Heavy metal gets me going down the gym. You know, or jump in the ice bath and, you know, let's get motivated or read a book or listen to a podcast. So motivation's all right. It's like these short charges that, that start things. But the problem is people are all putting it. They're not putting it in a straight line. If you daily put motivation into gym, 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 in the end you're going to get really good results. But people are like, oh, I'm motivated to lose weight. Oh, I'm motivated to um, go to the gym. Oh, I'm motivated to start a business. And they're spreading it so thin. So the energy just is so thin. Whereas motivation and inspiration and consistency over a long period of time it's like a, a laser beam with so much energy put into a really straight line. So that would be what I think about motivation. And how do we help more people become inspired rather than motivated? Yeah, so I would ask yourself every single day, who am I and what am I supposed to do with my life? Where is my value? How am I unique? What's my mission? Because if, if you don't create meaning in your own life, other people are gonna use you to deliver their meaning. Like I have a lot of meaning in my life. I'm, I'm writing a lot of books and I hire a lot of people to edit and research those books. 
some of them are lost and they're earning 500 pounds a month researching for me because I have a lot of meaning in my life and a lot of inspiration vision and I know where I'm going and I'm going to pull all my resources together to make that happen including if I can pay people 500 quid a month I will because I'm on a mission so look by the way let's just get make this really clear I'm not judging anyone like you need the janitor and you need the CEO you need the 500 pound researcher and you need the person who you know sells millions of copies of books I'm just saying if you if you want to be productive and effective and make money and go places this is what you've got to do you've got to create meaning and mission in your life and then what you do is you pursue that meaning and that mission for your life and you borrow all the resources that you can to do that and that would build confidence as well would you agree yeah um because I can imagine back when you was that boy in that shower, you didn't have the clear vision that you've got now. So what was driving? No, but I was young. And, you know, I was going through the cycle of life and, you know, you find these things out as you navigate life. Although some people find out, know what they want to be when they're two, like Rory McElroy. So, yeah, we're all on this different journey. To me, confidence is, it's a balance of actually doing some useful stuff mm-hmm. so that you've got the proof behind you that you can do this, but also believing in who and what you are. Like if, if you went into you know, the octagon with no fight experience, challenging world champions, you're gonna get battered. But you can have people who've sweat blood and tears for 10 years and some of them don't make the grade and some of them are world champions. Mm. So there's the, this is what I've done to earn the stripes element. And there's also a, I can be and do and have anything I want. Yeah. So what's driving your mission? I want to help as many people on this planet get better financial education and knowledge. What's driving it is I think the world is in a really lost, confused, confused place. I think humanity is at a crossroads in our evolution whereby if we're not careful, we're going to die out very quickly. Um, I think that the central banks and the governments and the food industry and the media, I think it's become too, um, too controlled by too few people. I think that the darker side of humanity is coming out, you know, greed, corruption, power, etc. Um, and I think people, myself being one of them, need to stand up and create some change and accountability. Shouldn't be that we've got these infinite resources and people are so poor and people are so broke. Does, we don't need to tax the fuck out of people poison the fuck out of people, drug the fuck out of people. It doesn't have to be this way, but it is this way, because this is where we're at in, in humanity. Uh, you know, and then, so on, on, a, on a species level, this is driving me. On a personal level, I, I, really, like, I, I chatted to someone, Kevin Robinson, you know, who's a really big social media following, like got cancelled by religion, by the Church of England. Um, and, you know, he thinks that 
you know, we should be on a mission to serve God and love our neighbour um, and just be. I couldn't disagree with him more. I think everything's fucking breaking and things need to be fixed. But that takes a lot of conflict because you're... The empire, the world empire has become too powerful and empires rise and fall. And this empire needs breaking down. Um, so that's on a, a wide level, on, on a personal level. I fucking love money. And, you know, back to this Calvin Robinson, he said, well, you know, because we live for eternity, you know, we have so much time. I don't feel like that at all. I'm like, fucking hell, I've got 85 years. I've got a lot of fucking shit to do. He might be right. If we live for eternity, I should sh slow the fuck down. <laughs> but I don't, I don't feel that that's the reality. I feel like we might live 85 or 90 years. We might live 100 years. And so I want to make the fucking best of it. Like, we've got one go, one life. Make the best of it. So that drives me as well. I would agree. Um, and something that you touched on on your life was mental health, mm. which I talk about quite a bit as well. So you, you spoke about the people that are entitled, who take the piss, in, in my opinion. And then you've got someone like my, my friend and partner, Ryan, who hasn't suffered with PTSD, someone that actually needs the help. What's your thoughts on people that really need the help, say from the military, or it could be anyone that needs help? With mental health and people that are entitled. Yeah, so the whole mental health, let's call it a movement, because it mm. almost is, isn't it? Is duality of purpose. On the one hand, you've got all these woke people who are like, oh, I don't feel well today. I don't know what I'll do. I'll go to the doctor and tell him I'm having suicide in my thoughts. I want to work two days a week from home. And fucking pulling sickies and taking the piss. And then you have real people, real men, fighting wars. And all the fucking resources are being sucked to all these woke people playing the card. And therefore, there's often not enough resources yeah. for the people that need it. You know, I, um, I've interviewed a lot of people. I mean, I interviewed Craig Harrison. Right? He had the, um, the world record for the longest snipe kill. Um, in fact, I think American Sniper, that might have even been the film, might have been made based on him. It was, he's very fucking hell. He had such chronic PTSD. He thought about killing himself every day. And he said there was just no support in the military whatsoever. There was no recognition of it. Now, it might be changing. I'm not here going to slag in the military. I don't know. But that's what he felt. And, and you know, th this was a little while back. But there's the stigma, you know, of being a man. Then there's also the resources and putting the resources in the right places. Mm -hmm. And this is why I'm, I'm passionate. If I ran this fucking country, I want more resources. I want these entities to be more private. Excellent. And I want more resources and money going to them. So nurses can earn 80 grand a year. So, you know, people in the military can get the help and support that they need. Um, so, I mean, I've never been in the military, you know, I'm not saying I fucking fully understand how it works, 
but a lot of the people that I've interviewed have. So I think the first thing is, we need to know what strength is. And strength isn't just going to battle and fighting wars. Strength is asking for help and strength is, is admitting, admitting that things are hard. And strength is, you know, relying on your fellow man. Like, I, I, I assume, with limited knowledge, in the military you have to absolutely have faith in your team. You know, you have to know that they're trained and that they've got your back. Mm-hmm. Well, surely it should be the same with your therapist, you know, and, and your mental health advisors. You essentially need to build your core team. And it's not just the, your wingman and your sniper, it's your, it's your therapist, you know, and it, it, it's your dietitian, it's all of these. But there's so much ridiculous stigma. I, I don't even really know why. I think, yeah, often, okay, when we're fighting wars, you know, you have to put on a strong front. You're fighting a fucking war. So I get why there needs to be that strength. But, you know, society has evolved and we have a lot more information now and a lot more knowledge and a lot more resources. And therefore, you know, we need to give the help and support that's needed. But we also need to take personal responsibility. I am not okay. I need to ask for help. And I, and I said to Craig, you know, why, why didn't you go and ask for help? Like, oh, well, you know, you'll just be discharged. You, you, you'll get some shit pension. And there just wasn't... So there's the system that needs changing. But then, you know, and then there's the personal responsibility element as well. It's nuanced and it's complicated. But, you know, I have a fucking therapist. But, you know, I have a video editor, I have a dietitian, I have a PT. What's the fucking difference? I have a therapist. You know, my computers need maintenance. My brain needs maintenance. It's just, you know, if you think about it, if you think about it on a practical level, it's just maintenance. But I think we get emotional and we judge. I think going back to what you just said there, um, what my friend done, he was on my podcast, he actually tried to commit suicide only eight months ago because he felt that he couldn't speak to anyone and that is because there was no support so it's interesting to get your view on that as well um he's, he's, he's only just recently come out um, but it's hard for from what he was telling me he's tried three times to commit suicide but it was the last time was the last attempt was eight months ago because there wasn't that support there in the military so it's very hard for people again i've not been in myself but it's when you when you're released it's very hard for people when they come out because there's a lack of support yeah i mean i imagine it is really hard when you come out and there's also my mate mark ormrod who's a triple amputee who's out there you know living living life um all you can do is keep hustling mm-hmm. um you know we meet you meet people how are you getting on what's going on how's life all you can do is keep fucking hustling keep swimming keep pushing Keep hustling. If it gets hard, you get harder. If people aren't listening, you shout louder. Like, you, if you are serving this country, you have a fucking right to get help. And if you are not being heard, you fucking shout louder. And if you're still not getting heard and you're getting ridiculed, you fucking shout louder. That's what I do. Mm-hmm. Not in the military, but in social media, mm-hmm. I'll just keep shouting until things change. So, you, you know, I've got a lot of sympathy and a lot of love, but
But remember, the, the, the foundation of what I believe is that you come from a place of personal responsibility, yeah. whereby whatever you can control, you control. And whatever you can own, you own. And now, you know, there's a lot of good podcasts. There's a lot of ex-military coming out and David Goggins and Jocko Willink and people like that, you know, have seen war and death and they're coming out and, you know, they're, they're hard men. And, you know, they're p putting dialogue out there. So listen to some podcasts. You can always do something. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And what are your thoughts on religion? <laughs> Fucking hell. What are my thoughts on religion? I think... Is, is there a, like a paragraph to this? Is that just a full stop? No, there's a full stop. Because what, I, know, what? I know there's so many ways which you can take it. Yeah, what are my thoughts on religion? I respect, I respect every single human being's right to believe what they want to believe. And I think that We're free, we're independent, and we should be. We should be allowed to think and believe. But I'm confused that there are hundreds, if not thousands of religions, and they all claim that there's one true God. So Harry and I were doing the show and we had Calvin Robinson on basically been banished by the Church of England. He thinks the Church of England is dying. He thinks in 15 years it will be dead. Um, but he's a, you know, a real man of faith. And he's like, there is one true God. But what I don't understand is, if religion is absolute and there's one true God, how come there's a thousand religions? So that confuses me. Um, I think humans need guidance and something to hold on to and to navigate them through life. And so as the ability to infinitely create, we create fantasies, heaven and hell, you know. Gods and mere mortals. And so I think that religion is a human perception, which I believe we all have the right to have. Now, could it be that when we die, we maybe go to heaven and we maybe go to hell or we maybe live eternal life and we may be judged on our actions and whether we sin or repent? I don't fucking know. And nor does any other fucker on the planet. Because that's the mystery of life. Um, and I quite like that. Um, do I think when I die, I'm going to be at the gates and there's going to be a jury and there's a big old dude in a white beard who's either letting me into heaven or letting me into hell? Probably not. No. No, I don't think that's likely. I think what's more likely is I die and it is over. <laughs> there's, there's, there's so many ways in which I could have taken it, but that's why I'm glad I did it for full stop. Yeah. You know, like, 
Calvin Robinson lives as a slow, elegant man. Like, he would, he, if he was a dog, he would be in crufts. You know, he would be all manicured and elegant. I'm like the fucking Westie banging the tree, humping the tree. Because he believes that life is eternal and I believe we've got 90 years and we need to make the best of it. I don't fucking know who's right. I don't really care. Um, so I think religion, creation, perception, the universe, is all a perception. You know, is it cold or is it hot? Are you right or are you wrong? Is this good or is this bad? That is all, all of that is subjective based on your individual perception. And so we're all seeing the universe through our own filters. And I think the creation and manifestation of religion is that, that human filter. There's so much more I want to talk to you about social media. I'm conscious of your time. I don't give a fuck. You said, why are you here? And I said, because yeah. you didn't get, get everything that you wanted to talk about in round one. No, well, no, I'm more than, more than happy to, to continue. just check what the wife's... Um, <laughs> you might not, but... Look, I don't care. Um, Oh, yeah, I think I'm all good. Let me just ask. I think she's. I think we're um, getting wagamamas tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, when do you want me back for my chili ramen? <laughs> <laughs> Be interested to get your thoughts on the war. Sorry. Interested to get his thoughts yeah. on the war. Have you, you it just come out last week. Have you? Literally yeah, last week. Obviously, being away. Uh, been in Iraq, seen it from the other side. I saw things that I didn't agree with, and the reason why I'm getting out is obviously going down the business route. Um, and as you said earlier, I was looked at as weird in the military because I saw opportunities that people didn't see. So I put a vending machine in a hangar because I realised that people had to tra uh, travel ten minutes to get food, and people were lazy. So I started doing little things like that, can't the clothing brand fit for duty. To me, fit for duty is more than just a clothing brand. It's mentality, it's a clothing, it's a fit. Everyone's got a duty for their own, what they do. That's going to the shops, you need to be fit for that. Because if you've got to carry around kids and you've got bags, you've still got to be fit for that. Um, and from the war aspect, I saw things that I don't agree what? with. What? Um, for things like propaganda news and, and I saw in a Muslim country, KFCs, uh, Starbucks and things like that. And I worked with some of the Kurdistanis, who were some of the nicest blokes, and I still speak to them. Um, and we were push pushing our ideology onto them. And I didn't agree with that. Um, and we, why was we actually there? And no one can answer that question, can they? No. That's something that no one actually knows. And as I said, we were pushing an ideology onto them because uh, their women never went to work, they had their roles, and that was their beliefs. Yeah. But we are then pushing their women to go to the gym and go to work. Where has that come from? That just hasn't come from anywhere, has it? No. Like, That's our culture 
that we are imposing Absolutely. upon yes. them. Yeah. yeah. And I don't agree with that. No. Like. It's very rare that people will openly admit that. No. I've only just come out. Mm. It's, it's tough. And, and again, like I say, and it was David that came on, he actually opened up to that, but it was very shaken up. Yeah. But as I would imagine when you've interviewed people that have been through that themselves, it's tough for people to speak mm. about that. Yeah. So it's, it's how do you navigate that? How do we change that? How do we make people feel comfortable to speak? Mm. And like you say, it's through, it's through your own channel. Um, so social media is obviously a big thing for people at the moment and starting a business, becoming an entrepreneur, people want to do that. What, what's the easiest way to make money? Because people look up to you on social media right now today. Okay. Um, because I'm often asked this question, I think it's a shit question. Yeah, it is a shit question. But, but that was what but I was going to say. Be yeah. Because I put a post out and that was a question that I was asked yeah. to hey, ask look. you. I'm not going to mention them. No, no questions are shit questions, but that's a shit question. And that's just a question of someone. It's actually on your group. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying it, it's not judging or saying that it's your fault. Loads of people. I get asked all the time, what's the easiest way to make money and what's the quickest way to make money? They're the wrong questions. But that's part of the journey of learning how to make money, mm. is figuring out what the good questions are. So the wrong questions are, what's the easiest way to make money and what's the quickest way to make money? The right questions are, what are good businesses to get in? Mm. And how can I make money for the long term? And how can I monetize what I know and what I do? So um, in reality, the quickest way to make money is to honor in yourself the traits and qualities you already have that are useful. Commit to sharpening those skills that you already have so there's minimum friction. Mm -hmm. And then create a product, a service, a brand or media around that. And then get to work and build the organization and navigate that journey. And it could be in AI, and it could be in video editing, and it could be in building a membership site, and it could be doing content on social media. It could be in martial arts, and you end up building a global franchise. It could be in anything. But essentially what, you know, people get confused about life. You know, they think, you know, live to work or work to live. But essentially what we're all doing is exchanging our time. So why don't we exchange our time around our strengths, doing things we find meaningful, because then at least we can turn our passion into our profession, and instead of working to live, we can actually live a life. So that's the real answer, but I also realise people you know, want some quick hits of what can I do. So I think, um, Content on social media because X and Instagram and YouTube and all the channels are, are now offering quite good monetization rewards. Is it quick though? For someone starting out? Well, I mean, if, if you're 17 years old, yeah. I mean, look, 
everything that's meaningful needs to be built. And, um, you know, they say it takes 10 years to be an overnight success, but that's not so, so true anymore. You know, if, if you think a thousand years ago, mm. it probably took 50 years to become an overnight success because you didn't have any tools and resources. Mm. And, you know, and then Steve Jobs in the 90s says it takes 10 years to become an overnight success. Look, let's be honest here. Yes, it takes work, but look at the infinite amount of resources we have, the internet, social media, AI. So actually, you have to be careful to not fall into get rich quick and not get distracted. But actually, yes, you, you can become quite wealthy quite quickly. You can become noticed quite quickly compared to, like, if you and I wanted to do a podcast in 1921, I'm sending you a letter on, on a horse and you're sending me one back on a bird. It was fucking slow and now everything is really fast. So there is opportunity and there is abund abundance and you can get rich quicker but you can't get rich quick. You can't cut the corners. You still have to put the hustle and the work in. So is social media quick if you're really good at something and if you're useful and valuable, then it can be relatively quick compared to training to be a doctor, a dentist, a lawyer, and you know. Apparently, um, it takes a doctor something like 14 years to earn the same amount as a plumber. Because a plumber starts work age 18 and a doctor has to go and get a degree from 18 to 26. And I didn't really think of it like that. So you want to get rid of all the friction, which is university and all, all this politics that's going on. Get on social media, put content out there. Like building a membership site, I have Rob.team, has nearly 10,000 members. Um, you know, I have Rob.team, Rob.team Gold. We have um, Rob.team Yearly, Rob.team Lifetime. You know, I'm just doing content. Often, often you're doing content on Zoom on your laptop or content on your phone. And, you know, getting a, getting a lot of people to pay £10 a month is not that hard anymore. I mean, getting a lot of people to pay £30 a month or £50 a month is harder, although Andrew Tate's doing very well at it. But, yeah, anyone can go on social media and create content. Anyone can get that instant viral hit because everyone's going viral now but just everyone goes viral real quick and then irrelevant real quick this is the problem we have so it's like just a bit it's all faster so anyone can do this and if you're going to put content on social media and you're, you're going to put yourself out there you might as well cash in so um you know i have a membership site called rob.team and that, that gets pitched at the end of all my live videos and like I said, that's grown in no time at all to nearly 10,000 members and at £10 a month, you can do the maths. And then you get the add-on level and the add-on level. So information is fast. So being in the information business, you know, being in the military is slow. Being in information is fast because information travels at, what is it, 256,000, whatever the speed of light is, I don't know. Um, so being in information, which is social media, AI, things like that, um, membership sites, content, but, you know, a, a really solid job, by the way, do video editing. You know, if, if you're 17 years old and you want to work your way up and you want to be an entrepreneur and own the company, you've got to start at the bottom. That's the way it works. So do some video editing on the side for people, you know, short form video editing. You know, we've been talking here for two hours. There could be a fucking hundred pieces of TikToks and Instagrams from this. We're getting pitched every day from young kids. You know, have got some hustle about them who want to do some video editing. That's a great way to start. And then from that, you build your own media agency.
some, some good ways to make money. So it's a willing of making it, but keeping it's completely different. How have you managed to keep yours? Um, in, in, reinvest profits into assets that produce recurring income. Um, learning to manage my money well. So when you start, you know, you've got to um, never spend more than you earn and save and work hard. And, but, you know, as you build momentum, what you're doing is moving lots of money around. So to stay wealthy, you remember what got you there and all the profits that you make, hopefully it's abundant, you reinvest a portion of it back into assets. So I have 340 properties and I started with none. And you know, we bought our first 10 in, no, nearly 20 in year one and nearly 30 in year two. And then in year three, we might refinance and pull some money out or draw rental income. And a third or a half of that goes back in to buy more property. Mm-hmm. Instead, what people do is they just make a bit of money and then spend it. And then make a bit of money and then spend it. It's important for people to realize that you didn't start, you started with zero. Yeah. Started with no properties, and no was, knowledge, and no money. money. It wasn't your money either, was it? No, I used other people's money and my business partner, you know, I didn't know he was rich, he didn't know I was broke and that was convenient. <laughs> um, and so we partnered <laughs> up and joint ventured. You know, you don't have to walk around telling everyone you're broke and you don't have to walk around telling everyone you're rich. He's a private guy, so I didn't know he was rich until I got him really pissed and he told me he was rich and I'm like, let's fucking go. <laughs> he didn't know I was broke for many months. Um, by then it was too late, we were in business together. So, obviously there's this perception of money being a taboo subject to talk about. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Money is a tool. Money has duality of purpose. The thing is, right, let's say a hammer was on this desk. You wouldn't be judging and ridiculing that. That would be useful if I need it, it's in the toolbox. Um, Yet you can use that to smash someone's skull in or you can use that to build a house. Money's just a tool. So do, do you talk to your partner about your finances? Or is it combined income? Uh, like, so basically here's how it goes with me and my partner. I earn all the money. She raises the children and looks after the house and spends a lot of the fucking money. I love making money. Every time I make money, I tell her I make money and then we fuck to celebrate. That's basically how it works. And I just think... People just see money as evil and bad, but like, I love getting paid. I want to do meaningful stuff. I'm going to get paid. And, and like, by the way, I share everything with her, but good luck keeping a track on all the money I've got and all the watches I've got and all the art I've got and all the properties I've got. I mean, it takes a, and then we see money as good. And every time I, make, I get paid big, I want to get laid. <laughs> Why not? Um, Harry, his, his favourite saying is, get paid, get laid. Do you? <laughs> Harry, you should, you, Harry, you should have a podcast called Get Paid, Get Laid. That would go viral. Sponsored by. Yeah. <laughs> but why is money... Money's just a fucking... Money's a hammer. Money is a spanner. When you money's said a hammer, tool. <laughs> Sorry, but when you said hammer, I just think that you and your missus. <laughs> <laughs> so would you discuss your personal wealth with people? if it is a taboo subject or at all. So, I've got friends who've lived in England and lived in America, and we talk about this no end. Because, you know, in England, we originate with tall poppy syndrome, which is whereby whenever, when anyone is successful, they are scythed down. 
generally speaking, culturally, with our class system. In America, it depends on the state, but generally speaking, there's the American dream and success and wealth is celebrated and seen in a very good light. So th these are the cultural differences. I'm, I mean, I've really over oversimplified it, but we'll be here all day otherwise. But, you know, so there's some cultural differences there. I don't see why in England we can't have the same cultural outlook on money as we do in America. I see no reason. So I'm open about talking about money. I'm open about showing wealth. I'm open about talking about it with my missus or anyone else. I mean, I also respect my privacy. People say to me, Rob, what's your net worth? And I say, don't be a nosy fucker. So I'm, I also... I'm, I wasn't going to do a dodge on you and try and press you and press yeah, you and press yeah. you. Um, so yeah. That is fucking ridiculous. Yeah. Don't care yeah. if you're watching, by the way. No, um, but I mean, that, that episode did quite well, though. I mean, I got a lot of haters from all the people that like to watch people put cocaine up their nose and whatever other demographic is being attracted. There's no disrespect to anyone, but, you know, I'm an entrepreneur and, yeah, he, he was bashing me, but a lot of the entrepreneurs loved for, it. For what reason? For what reason what? Why was he bashing you? I think he's just... For views? Dodge is my friend, yeah. right? So um, I'll, I'll quite happily talk about anything. I call a spade a spade, but Dodge is my friend. And what Dodge has done is he's evolved... I mean, he's an entrepreneur. He is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, also, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, him, he is. He's an athlete and an entrepreneur. That's what he is. Uh, um, and he's a friend of mine from Clubhouse. And what he's done is he's starting to put content out there and it's entrepreneurial. And then he's sort of, oh, look at James English and, oh, you know, let's interview criminals and, uh, and all that. And, and he's really found this niche and he's, he's sort of blown up quite quickly. Um, and so, you know, him pressing me and all the criticism I'm getting, I just see it as a reflection of the demographic of people that are following him. I don't have any problem with it. Yeah. If, if he had a, an entrepreneurial show and that interview was done, they would have all loved it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, why was he pressing me and pushing me? Um, yeah, like, we all have a different style. So, you know, when it comes to interviews, you know, I think you and I have a similar approach which is ask good, thoughtful, concise questions and let the content flow. And then they turn into discussions and then you become friends and then, you, and then, then they become conversations. But then you've got Piers Morgan, who's just fucking attack, fight, attack, fight. You know, media, newsjacking, attack, fight. Then you've got all these different types. And, you know, Dodge is just finding his interview style and finding his way. He's not been doing it all that long. And I just think, yeah, he's, he's being combative because he's trying to hack some engagement. I don't really have a problem with it. Bring it on. But it, it's probably just not my... It's just not my favoured style. You know, like, the, the thing is, right, it's all shrouded in irony. Because I know for a God-given fact. So one of the criticisms I got on this in episode was that um, I occasionally pay for podcast guests. Mm. If you had Arnold Schwarzenegger sat there, I'm fucking remortgaging my house yep. to get him on my show. As would I. Yeah. And what's wrong with that? Now, look, I'd rather do them all for free. I'd rather do everything for free and everyone loves each other. But in reality, 
Bartlett is paying for everyone. And, you know, there's a competitive world going on. He, by the way, he doesn't admit that he does, but he does because I know he does. And so then you've got Dodge is just trying to, like, oh, well, what does Boss Bartlett doing? Rob, talk about this. And then we get into a discussion. And he's like, well, I would, I would never pay for a guest. or just never do that. You don't need to do that. I just want people, you know, to be here because they want to be here. Well, he lives in the fucking arse end of nowhere. It's really hard to get to. And I'm like... Okay, fair enough, you're allowed your principles, but who's your favourite guest? Joe Rogan. Would you pay him 50 grand to be on the show? Oh, no. What about 20 grand? Oh, no. And I just think, you're bullshitting me. Because if Joe Rogan was sat there, he'd pay 20 grand. He's an entrepreneur. He runs a business. And this was the point I was trying to make. But each time we were making this point, he was interrupting me and... You know, dip, 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 dip. I say this to Harry, you know, what makes good content? Well, we can all argue over that but what I don't like is when people don't let people talk and you, what I don't like is you, you ask a question and then it's like, oh but and, 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 I'm like hell um yeah so that, that was just all, all going on on the show and I'd say it to his face he's my friend I'm not bitching about him you just raised it that you know he did this episode it, it did quite well quite quickly and and he was a bit combative um and he was talking some shit, but he wouldn't admit it. He's like, oh, well, you know, I just, I just don't, I don't want nice cars. I'm like, okay, fair enough. And it's like chipping me away, you know, oh, look at Rob, Let, let's get Rob bragging about all of his cars. I respect your right um, to cry in your Skoda. So respect my right to have fun in my supercar collection. I, I don't really see where the problem is, but it's like, oh, well, you know, shouldn't want nice cars and things, even though he's got a fucking Range Rover Sport outside. So it's like... Anyway, I'm going to get in trouble, aren't I, Harry? <laughs> I didn't poke him, I swear. Yeah, yeah you did. <laughs> so, what, you know, what did you think of that, that episode and that interview? I make no judgement, Rob. Yes, you do. Come on, don't be, don't be a pussy. No, Come on. no, no. I, my thoughts on that, honestly... Yeah, honestly. Honestly, it wound me up. I had yeah. to turn it off. Right. It was one of the... It was one of the worst podcasts I've seen. Right. Why? Because it was obvious he was pressing for engagement. Mm. And I don't like that. That's just not my style. Mm. Uh, might be a really nice geezer. Mm. Nice fella. Is. But yeah. when people do that on podcasts, I turn it off. Mm. And that's not saying he's a bad podcast or not a bad person. But when people do that on podcasts, I shut down. Yeah. That's my opinion of it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and I think... And it doesn't actually, not just him, that's across the board when I see yeah. it all across any podcast. I have to turn it off. Yeah. Yeah. Because it annoyed me, it infuriated me, he really did. Yeah, and... Especially, not, not just the cars, the watches, I've got that. But with a mental health thing, he contradicted what he was saying. Mm. Especially with the money side. Mm. Um, if he was that bothered about it, he wouldn't keep pressing about how much he paid him. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, he wouldn't let those things go. And I was trying to be respectful. And I said, look, I'll tell you these things off camera. Mm. And I had to literally get up and whisper it to, to shut him up to be able to move on. Yeah, and, and you know, these things were, to a certain degree, quite sensitive. And, you know, you came here and said, is there anything you don't want to talk about? No, nothing. But I also like to think that I can trust you not to be a twat you know, and, and not to fucking set me up and create a load of bullshit. And so, you know, we have good faith in the podcast world that we can have mm. good, deep and meaningful conversations. But you also have to watch your back a bit. Yeah. 
and I'm not in the game of setting anyone up. Do I want engagement? Yes. Do I want virality? Yes. Do I want some spice? Yes. Do I want a really good interview? Yes. Do I want a bit of challenge and conflict? Yes. Do I want to set anyone up and make them look like a twat? No. Not interested. Not interested at all. You don't need to do that. Just fucking, like, just have a conversation with Chris Eubank. That's all you need to do. Because <laughs> that shit is going viral left, right and centre. Still. And, and, you know, I like to think I was pr pretty sensitive in that interview. You know, the guy's fucking been smashed around the head. He's str clearly struggling. And, you know, he was being a, a bastard to me. And, and I was trying to be firm and kind and, you know, keeping it together. That's more what we should be doing. Just create great work. But I get, we're all playing a game. See, I get the paradox because I, I don't really blame Dodge. Because we're in a world where algorithms are rewarding this vacuous nonsense. Mm. And the algorithms aren't rewarding quality. But it comes down to purpose, does it not? Because you asked the question, why are you doing this podcast? But then you also asked, would you pay for the guest? And that's where you tie them in knots. It comes back to, yes, it rewards engagement, but the, the way you tied him up, no offence if you're watching, but was you're not doing it for the right reason. That's where I turned it off. Yeah, yeah, interesting. You know, I know Dodge and I know what he is and I don't have a problem with anyone or anything and I, what they are. I'm not saying he's doing it for the wrong reason. Yeah. But how you orchestrated that was... I mean, I fuck, you know, I fucking went down right to the arse end of the world, you know, to go on his show and he didn't pay me. And I did it, you know, because he's a mate and he wants to get good engagement and I want to get out there more. <laughs> I mean, that was, yeah. in, that was in relation to, the, to Chris Eubank. That was in relation to how you dealt with Chris Eubank. So, yeah, it was interesting to watch. But mm. Mine's more about the purpose, the connection, the conversation, and what could potentially happen after you never know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So who would be your ideal guest? Oh, man, you know, like, I love doing this. There's so many cool people I want to interview. Um, I'd love to interview Joe Rogan, Donald Trump, Bill Gates, fucking hell, that would fucking, if he's alive, who knows what's going on there. Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Oprah Winfrey, um, Russell Brand. Yeah, like, the thing is, I wanna have interesting conversations with interesting people. Mm -hmm. I'm not fucking judge, jury, and executioner, and you know, I don't, I don't just want to interview all the people I'm a fan of. Yeah. I don't just want to interview entrepreneurs. I'll interview billionaires and zeroers. I was showing you earlier a guy we're going to interview. Very left field interview, but really fucking interesting guy. Yeah. Um, so, oh man, we're, we're always on it. We, we're, um, we're agreed to go out and interview Will I Am. I just interviewed um, John Fury. So in a way, we're living our dream. You know, we, we're getting to interview the people that I would, I mean, I remember watching The Voice with my wife and we're fucking, oh, I fucking love Will I Am. What a legend Will I Am is. And, you know, we'll be flying out to interview him in San Francisco. It's like, fucking hell, this is great. I mean, Arnie, come on. Like, he's, he's fucking flirting with us, Arnie is, because we talk to him and the team a lot. Just can't make it happen. Really want that one to happen. I'd love to interview Arnie. I, the, the Paul brothers. I mean, I've interviewed Jake, but that was remote. I'd like to interview Logan, um, but face to face. Yeah. 
What, what's stopping Mivani? What's stopping you, Mivani? Um, life, everyone's busy, time, money. Like, I know I'll get him if we can align where we are in the world. But it's just so hard, isn't it? He's obviously over in America and he doesn't travel as much now. He's also just a big shot. You know, if you, if you want him, he's 500 grand. And he's not necessarily, because, you know, of course he's going to do podcasts that yeah, I'm, I'm sure he'd go on Joe Rogan and there would be no fee. But, you know, if you want him to speak and you want him to travel, it's mm. half a million dollars. Um, yeah. I mean, Donald Trump, fucking hell. Like, what a thoroughly interesting man. I know so many people hate him. Let's just transcend judgment. What a thoroughly interesting man. I, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Soon, mate. No, 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 no doubt. We've got some connections get. there. We're, we're always trying to hustle and make things happen, mm. as you know. Um, I'm getting myself out there and more on shows now because, you know, sometimes I'm like, I don't need to go and do the podcast circuit. You know, I'm already successful in business. I made a load of money. But in a way, that's a bit arrogant. You know, yeah, I'm a very successful person. Most of these people are going viral on the internet. They haven't done half of what I've done. But you've got to earn your stripes. So, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm not saying I'm a hoe, but I will go on a few shows and I will be a bit more open to that now rather than, oh, well, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm too important. I'm only going to go on a couple of shows. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're hustling. We want to make shit happen. We want to take over the world. So what's the next sort of like five years look like for you? I'm, right, I'm going to write a lot of books on money. So I've got a clear goal for the next six years, which is to become the most recognised, stroke, useful specialist in, on the subject of money. It's not just about influence and celebrityism. But, you know, if you think about what people in the world are well known for things, like David Attenborough is well known for wildlife. I'm going to be the guy that is the most well known for doing useful things on this earth around money by the time I'm 50. So I'm 44. Um, and I do a lot of things and sometimes I'm a bit distracted, but A, I've got a lot of money. I've had 17 years of warming up and practice and I know a lot about money. And I'm, you know, obviously starting to leverage a little bit more on the internet. So, I mean, I'm, I've just finished Money Matrix, my 19th book, Money Loves You is the 20th that I'm writing. I might write a book called Money, money Matters. I've got a few books all in the pipeline. I might launch, you know, maybe one every year to 18 months. So that's what that's that's my um my goal to turn fifty. I've got two more questions. I can't wait to achieve it. By the way, mm. is there someone that you haven't had a conversation with that you need to have a conversation with? If so, why haven't you had that conversation? I mean, you know, I need to have more conversations with my dad because he's eighty years old, and I don't know how many more conversations I've got with him. So that's definitely something that I need to do. Um, what conversations do you need to have with him? Um, how's the cricket? How's the rugby? He, you know, my dad just loves sport and he's not so mobile now and he's, got, he's had really bad mental health issues he's on a lot of drugs, you know. It's, it's just about being with him and, you know, chatting to him. So I think we're, um, I think we're off out for dinner soon. My mum's coming over um, tomorrow. So on an ongoing basis. Because the thing is, right, we think about years. But like, 
I might only have three more times that I see my dad before he's dead. You know, we think years, but it's times, isn't it? Like, how many times am I going to see you again before you die and I die? It might only be three or four. We don't know. Mm. So we take time for granted. So that's one. I mean, look, there's always shit going on. There's some guy right now who's a good friend of mine who's being juvenile and um, got really pissed off with me for something that's completely fixable if you just talk on the phone, blocked me on all channels, getting the lawyers involved, and he just needs to pick up the phone and have a conversation with me because... If he starts playing, if he starts lawyering up, like I'm in business with one of the smartest guys in the country when it comes to law, and we have one of the most brutal lawyers in this country, and I've got a good mate who I'm doing work with, who's obviously got shit going on in his life, and um, something's upset him, and it's fixable and solvable, and he just needs to pick up the phone, and he's fucking blocked me on everything. That's another person. I need to have a conversation with. I'm even try I'm even getting other people's phones and phoning him because he can't block everyone. I'm like, look, mate, come on. What, what what's up? How can I help? You know, what's going on? We're friends. Yeah, I won't mention his name though because I was just about to say, see, see, this is what you don't do, Dodger. <laughs> I, won't, for a name. I won't mention his name because it's not respectful and you're just you know, you're asking me in good faith and you know, people are going through shit. He's go, he goes through a lot of shit. He's got a hard life. And we're always there for each other and helping each other. It's just he's, you know, had a bit of a meltdown and he just needs a cuddle. Anyone else? No, I mean, that'll do. I mean, look, we don't talk, you know, in our relationships, you know, with our staff and, you know, with our husbands and wives. You know, communication does really help. And, you know, my wife, my wife and I have been together 17 years. We've had some ups and downs, probably more ups than downs. She's pretty solid and steady and really good for me. Um, but our relationship gets affected when we don't talk enough. And she's a bottler. She doesn't really like to talk. She's a practical person. Let's just get on and do it. She doesn't like too much therapy and emotion and chat. I'm almost like the woman and she's like the man. I'm like, oh, we need to talk, we need to talk, we need to talk. So, yeah. Would you be where you are today if it weren't for your wife? No, absolutely not. Teamwork makes the dream work. And, um, you know, I, I wouldn't say I'm traditional in the sense that I go to work and she stays at home. But in some way, I am a bit traditional in that a family dynamic is a team. And it's not good for the family if you both have to go out, out to work and you have to work 60 hours a week. It's not good for raising the kids. You know, if two of you are doing the same thing, one of you isn't needed. If you're both entrepreneurs, I remember I saw this interview, right? I mean, there's some shit out there. I saw this interview of a lady. She was so rigid up her own ass. It's like, fucking hell, you need to fucking... And she's like, when I date, I want to see bank statements. And she's like, I, I, I only date Jewish men and I want to see bank statements. And this guy's like, what? She's like, yeah, on a second or third date, I'm asking for bank statements. You know, because I'm a high value woman and I earn really good money and he has to too. And I'm just like, for fuck's sake. Each to their own, fair enough. But get over yourself. There's nothing wrong with a good wife who runs a good home and raises good kids and a good man who goes out to battle and earns good money. What's fucking wrong with that? Why is that all so wrong? But the, here's the problem. It's all, all linked. Because the banks are getting you into debt and now you need two fucking um, people earning just to pay for one mortgage. So 100 years ago, 
one man on a humble salary going to work for Ford could feed his whole family. Now, two people need to earn 60 grand a year just to keep up with rents and inflation. So it's also a societal thing. But I'm proud of the fact that my wife and I have worked together. And by the way, she's no gold digger. She got with me when I was, you know, all potential, but I wasn't rich. Um, and no, I wouldn't be anywhere near without her. She keeps me on the straight and narrow. I sometimes do fucking crazy things. And she's just, she's just good at, you know, keeping the team going. And do you feel accepted now? When you perhaps didn't? Well, yes and no. I mean, when you meet new people, you don't know them and you don't necessarily feel accepted. Um, I, I feel I'm valuable and useful, so that breeds confidence. I feel like the empty void is being filled. I feel like I'm doing meaningful work. You know, like sometimes when I go and meet new people, I'm sort of like, especially in business, you know, the networking, but it can be a bit like trying to impress people and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, to a certain degree, there's got to be a bit of that. But sometimes I challenge myself to just go and meet people and just listen. Mm -hmm. Not trying to impress anyone, not trying to be anything or do anything. You know, it takes a lot of confidence in yourself to know who you are, to be around a lot of people without, you know, fucking peacocking. But there's nothing wrong with a bit of hustle and a bit of peacocking. Because, you know, someone asked me about public speaking. And, you know, should you just be yourself and be authentic? Yeah, but you should also put on a show. And you should also learn good skills of public speaking. And you are also entertaining. So I understand the paradox of that. So sometimes you're out there, you're networking, you're hustling, you're impressing, you're peacocking. And then sometimes you're just like, I'm just going to fucking be me. Um, and and th that's an ongoing paradox for me. So is that what's driving potentially these insecurities that you have? Because I believe everyone has them. Yeah, I mean... Insecurities are useful. If I wasn't insecure, I might n not keep myself safe. So if I'm insecure about how you might judge me, I might look to improve the situation. Therefore, it might be useful to me. Um, so people think everything, people think, right, life is good, life is bad, life is right, life is wrong. No, all emotions are useful. Guilt is useful, shame is useful. Like, you know, if you want to make money, the best emotion is shame because you're gonna fucking do whatever it takes to get out of that situation. So you just gotta understand what emotions are and how to use them. So have I got insecurities? Yeah. I mean, I quite like my dick, but I've got a grower, not a shower. <laughs> you asked. And obviously being the fat kid in, in the showers, you know, that created a lot of insecurity. Um, I like my face, I don't like my legs, I've got fucking chicken legs, so I never wear shorts. Need a new PT then. <laughs> yeah, honestly, you could be the best PT in the world, and you're you fucking good luck working on my legs. Um, I think I'm, I'm, I, I have um, food-related insecurities in that, I know that I'm reasonably fit, reasonably in good shape, well, I'm actually in really good shape, um, but I, I, I I often look at my body and I still see a fat guy, even though I'm not. I'm not ripped, but I'm not in bad shape. I'm 44, you know, I'm fucking fighting against nature here. But you know, as you know, I had a, a fight and I was fucking fit. 
strong, um, fast. I go to the, do all this high rocks training and I beat all the fucking kids who are 21 and 23. But you know, a lot of that is my drive. But uh, yes, yeah, so I, I definitely have some insecurity around how I feel about my body. Um, I mean, I don't really have much fear of judgment and ridicule um, because I've been doing this 17 years. You can say what you want on a podcast. You can say what you want on my YouTube videos. You can troll me to fuck. I really couldn't give a shit. I know who I am. I know what I'm doing. This is where I'm going. You can fight me or resist me. You know, all your haters. I mean, jealousy is just desire. All your haters who are jealous, they just want what you've got. So I don't really have those kind of insecurities. I mean, I don't, I don't want to go around being a, a dick. And so I suppose I'm a bit insecure about upsetting people. But I, I, in a way, I think that's good. Because if you just go around upsetting people because you have no insecurities and you're being your authentic self, you can end up acting like a dick. What was going through your mind then when you mentioned the food? Insecurity. You were thinking about that for quite a long, quite a long time. Yeah, well, like... You know, I, I haven't got tits. I've got like a, a B cup. And I'd quite like to, you know, I'd quite like to have a, a plate of muscle. Um, I'm not fat at all, but, you know, there's an inch. And this is all, all back from, you know, when I was a kid and, and the paranoia about... It was weird because I was fat and I lost all the weight. And then when I lost all the weight, I remember one guy, I took my top off, right? And he knew I was fat and I'd lost weight. And he looked at me and went, fucking hell, you're the fattest skinny guy I've ever seen. And you know, you know what it's like when people lose weight really quickly. You know, they, they, their body is still trying to catch up and so you have a bit of saggy skin and you still, you've lost weight, but you're not like a fucking Greek statue. And I'm like, and it really cut deep. And that just still stays with me. So I'm, yeah, so I'd, I'd say that's, that's an insecurity. I mean, look, I don't like being late. So I was, you know, I was a bit annoyed that we made you wait. Um, you know, I'm trying to do meaningful stuff, but you know, I don't like letting people down. Um, and that, that can sometimes weigh on you. Um, I think it's good to not want to be late and respect mm -hmm. people's time. I don't care who you are. You treat people well on the way up. And we, you know, we all, we always try, you know, we're here for fucking two hours. I'm obviously trying to give as much as I can. Could just be trying to send you out and go home. I don't want to do that. But no, I don't like being late and I don't like letting people down. And I think it's good, but there is obviously some insecurity about that there. I can certainly resonate with both of them. Um, yeah, absolutely. My final question, probably the most important one of the podcast. Have they fixed the potholes? Because <laughs> <laughs> you Look, these are first world problems, but I have fucking eight supercars and I cannot drive down my street. Like, I have to drive in the middle of the road. Is this not right, Harry? You know, on Thorpe Road. To drive down the middle of the road to miss all the fucking potholes. First world problems. <laughs> Rob, it's been brilliant. Thank, Thank you, you very much. much.